Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. Series that, uh, that I've called Neighbors, um, and this time of year, you've got more opportunity to be around your neighbors. Uh, maybe not so much the last couple of weeks, unless you're out with a boat trying to visit your neighbors. <laughs> but uh, going in the summertime, they'll be out more and the, the chance to engage them. And, and I really think it's an opportune time for us to think in that direction. But I want you to understand your neighbors are not just the people that live beside of you or, or in your development uh, where, where you may live. Jesus, when he was asked one time what the greatest commandment was, first of all, he said, love God. But then secondly, uh, he said this. He said that you're to love your neighbor as yourself. And um, they may run behind us a little bit. I'm having to give you the abbreviated version uh, for uh, this service because of our, our graduate uh, emphasis and, and things. By the way, if you want all the notes, all the word studies, anything like that, send me an email. I'll, uh, I'll send it to you. But uh, last week we talked about what is love because we wanted a foundational understanding of what love looks like. And we found a lot of that, I think, in 1 Corinthians 13. But today we're going to talk about how do I love. And the, and the reason why we're even on this topic is Jesus said this in Mark chapter 12, verse 31. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're to love your neighbor in the same way. You're to love your neighbor as yourself uh, and, and that's what Jesus commands us in, in the Bible, that we're to have that kind of love toward others. The word that he used for neighbor, uh, there literally means near or close by, near or close by. So uh, your neighbor is not just the person that lives near you. Your neighbor is someone that you're close by as you're living your life. You can bump into somebody at Walmart in that moment, that's your neighbor. You can bump into somebody at, the, at your job, and in that moment, when you're in the vicinity of that person, that's your neighbor, and you're supposed to, to love them. You're supposed to find ways to respond to them correctly. So that's why we started out talking about what is love. Today, we're going to try and focus on how we ought to love, how we can love. And kind of the big idea running underneath the, the message today, uh, by the way, we'll be in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 through 25, if you want to find your place there. But the big idea is this, our willingness and capacity to care for others will grow naturally out of our walk with God. Here's what I mean by that. You, you deciding that you're going to love your neighbor, that you're going to respond correctly to your neighbor, it is not just some agenda you set and say, I'm going to start doing that. You, you ought to have that intent, you ought to have that goal that you're going to love your neighbor. But if we will be having a right relationship with God, if we'll be walking with God as we should, a natural byproduct, a natural result of us walking with God will be that we've got a greater capacity to love others, that we've got a greater capacity to love our neighbors if we'll be walking with God as we ought to be walking 
with him. So we're going to look in those verses in, uh, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 through 25. And I want you to primarily uh, try and see three main things that we're going to look at. Uh, by the way, I recognize because of what we just did, it is graduate Sunday. I think this is appropriate text for our graduates also, because as they launch out into life, these same things we're going to talk about will help them as they move forward into their lives. So guys, uh, all of our graduates, take good notes on this too, because it can be beneficial uh, for you. First thing I want you to see out of this text this morning is this. Walking by the Holy Spirit benefits us, but it also benefits our neighbors. Now I need to qualify something there about walking by the Holy Spirit. If you do not know Christ as your Savior, you don't have the capacity to walk by the Holy Spirit. That begins, first of all, by you exercising faith in Jesus. Then the Holy Spirit comes into your life. But even after the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, those of us that already know Christ as believers, we need to walk by the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to, to direct our lives. He says in, in verse 16 through 18, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Uh, Billy, just leave that there for a minute. I'm just going to walk through some of that with the text up. Uh, and, and like I said, if you want all the full notes, you can get it uh, later. But he tells us we're to walk by the Spirit. Uh, that means we're to operate by the Spirit. We're to allow the Spirit to guide us. We're to allow the Holy Spirit to direct our lives. Uh, it even means to walk in companionship uh, with the Holy Spirit. So you and I as believers, that's what we need to be doing in our lives. We need to be walking by the Spirit of God. And he says if we're doing that, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. There's a double negative there in the Greek. When he li- what is literally in the Greek is this, you will not walk and you will not walk. It says it twice just to emphasize how important it is that as we walk by the flesh and we allow, as we walk by the Holy Spirit rather, and we allow the Holy Spirit to empower us, it will help us avoid walking by the flesh. The, the thing about our flesh that I need to point out to you is not that our body is wicked or our body sinful. Who made our body? God did. So our body isn't sinful, but it's the sinful desires in fallen nature that he's talking about here is he talks about the flesh. Don't go on thinking that there's something wrong with your body that there, there might be, but it's not because, not because, of, you know, not, not because of that. I'm no, I'm, I'm sorry, but, but I did try to be a good neighbor, being a good neighbor that wore my Indian t-shirt for all you Harley people. I did do that today, trying to be trying to be a good, trying to be a good neighbor to you. Uh, but he's telling us absolutely, if we allow the Holy Spirit to guide us, we will not be gratifying, we'll not be fulfilling the desires of the flesh. Part of the word for gratify literally means this, to pay a, a debt. Think about that. As a believer, I'm not in debt to the flesh, I'm in debt to Jesus. Amen. He's the one that died on the cross for me. So he's the one I need to be paying a debt to, not paying a debt to my flesh and, and living the way my flesh would want me to live. Instead, what I need to do is, is live and walk by the Holy Spirit of God. He tells us there's a battle taking place. He said, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. So uh, the, the, the flesh really wants us to do things opposite that the Holy Spirit wants. The flesh wants us to do things opposite of what God desires in our life. Flip side of that is, 
the Holy Spirit wants us to do things different than what our natural desires are, than what our, our, our natural fallen nature would have us to do. He wants us to do the completely opposite of that. And since these are opposed to each other, it's like they're in battle. They're standing in opposition to each other. They're opposed to each other. Our, our fallen nature, our old person, our old man, and the new person that we are in Christ with the Holy Spirit living in our lives, there's this battle that takes place. You ever experienced that battle before? You know, even as a Christian, you know, you want to do what's good, but you wind up doing what's bad. Uh, I plan on saying this later, but I'll just insert it now. Even the apostle Paul wrestled with that because Paul said in Romans chapter seven, Hey, it's the things that I know I'm not supposed to do. Somehow that's what I wind up doing. And it's the things that I'm supposed to do. Somehow that's not what I get done. So even the apostle Paul himself, who God used to write more the new Testament than anyone else, he experienced the struggle. And we will experience this struggle as long as we're human. We still have that fleshly nature hanging around. Thank God one day it'll be gone. But right now there's a battle that takes place. One reason there's this battle taking place is that the appetites are different. The appetites of the Holy Spirit and, and the appetites of the, of the old flesh, they, they, they want to eat different things more or less. And, and that causes a problem, causes friction. Have you ever been out with your family, maybe on vacation or you're doing a road trip and you start trying to ask your family, where do you want to eat? I, I, I should have learned a long time ago to quit asking that question. You know, I'll just pull up and say, this is it. This is where we're going. Because by the time we ride here and ask that question, ask this question, I'm starting to get really, really frustrated as a, you know, as the, as the driver and, uh, and everything. So that's kind of a picture of what happens in our lives. Uh, even as Christians, this old nature is saying, do one thing. The Holy Spirit is saying, do something else. So there's a conflict that takes place because they have different appetites. Let me give you some pictures from the Bible about this opposition, about this different appetites that takes place. The Bible talks about sheep. Sheep are clean creatures. Sheep will not want to go out and, and lay down and just roll around in a muddy mess. Sheep will not want to eat anything that's, that's rotting and decaying or anything like that. That's not what sheep do. But the Bible also talks about pigs. So on the other hand, pigs eat pig, what do we call it? Pig? Slop. Do you want to go eat that for lunch today? No, that's not what we want to eat. But pigs eat pig slop. And pigs will just go out and roll around in a muddy, nasty mess and, and enjoy doing so. That's a little bit of a picture of our old person and our new person in Christ. Because the old nature wants us to go out and roll around in the mud of this world. The old nature wants us to eat old petrified, putrefied things in our lives. But the, the new nature, the Holy Spirit in us, wants us to be more like sheep, wants us to be guided by our shepherd and, and eat the good things and drink the good things and, and stay out of the mire and the, and the mess. Uh, another picture in the Bible that, uh, that teaches this same principle about this struggle between the, the, the flesh and the body is found in the, uh, uh, found in the flood story. Uh, in the flood story, after the rain stopped, Adam, uh, uh, or Noah, to begin with, he, he released a raven. Now, a raven will pretty much eat anything. <laughs> you know, nasty, rotten, you know, putrefied flesh, whatever. A raven will eat it. So he turned that loose and the, the raven didn't come back because the raven found plenty to eat out there. So next he, he turned loose a dove. 
And the first uh, wind, it kind of brought back a branch. In other words, it found a little bit of a place to light, but it didn't find a really clean place to go and live and, and stay. So, so that dove comes back. Then, in a few more days, he sends out a second dove, and that dove did not return. The reason that dove did not return is that it found a clean place it could settle, a clean place it could build its nest. So, you see, our, our problem is our fallen nature wants to be like a pig. Our fallen nature wants to be like a raven. And just, you know, be satisfied with anything. God, the Holy Spirit in our lives, wants us to be like sheep, wants us to be like doves and have these clean places that we want to, to, to inhabit. So that's kind of a, a picture from the, from the Old Testament, from the scriptures uh, about this battle that is taking place within us because there's opposite appetites within us. I heard a pastor years and years ago use this analogy, and I always thought it, it made sense when it comes to, to feeding the flesh or feeding the spirit in our lives. He, he said this. He says, if you've got two dogs, and one dog you're not feeding hardly anything very much at all, and it's just skinny and its ribs showing and everything else, and you've got another dog over here, and you're giving it really good, high-quality food and feeding it every day and taking care of it, and those two dogs get in a fight, which one's going to win? Whichever one you're feeding the most, right? Because it's the healthiest, it's the strongest. So our question is this, am I feeding the flesh more or am I feeding the spirit more in my life? Because whichever it is I'm feeding the most, that's what's going to win out. Now, I know you may be thinking, how in the world does this all relate to neighbors? I think it relates like this. If we will be walking by the Holy Spirit, it benefits our lives because we're doing the things we ought to do. But not only will it benefit our lives, it will benefit the lives of our neighbors. It will benefit the lives of others if we're walking by the Spirit instead of walking by the flesh. Now, kind of the rest of the message, what we're going to focus on in, in, in the rest of the message is the flesh and the spirit. And, and there are two long lists that the apostle Paul gives us in this passage of scripture that we need to, to pay attention to. Uh, by the way, let me back up and say one, one thing I, I did pass over in, in trying to hurry and get through this. Uh, us winning this battle between the flesh and the spirit will not happen out of our shield willpower, our human willpower, to just say, well, I'm going to obey the law and I'm going to obey the commandments and stuff like that. And, and, and I can win this by pitting, you know, my desires against the desires of the flesh. That's not how it works. We can't win the battle even by the law. What we have to win the battle by as believers is allowing the Holy Spirit to help us win the battle. To allow the Holy Spirit to grow things in us that need to grow there. To, to allow the Holy Spirit to help us as we surrender more and more uh, of our power to the power of the Holy Spirit, to the control of the Holy Spirit. And as we do that, we can get victory from, from uh, the bondage of the law, from bondage of sin. We can get, get victory from making the wrong choices, victory from our flesh. If we will walk by the Spirit, if we will follow what the Holy Spirit wants us to do in our lives. Now, me having said that, I need to also say this. Walking by the Holy Spirit will never go against what the Bible says. Because there, there's certain elements in our society today and have been for years and years that want to say, well, I think the Holy Spirit told me to do this. Well, check it out against the Bible and see if that's what the Bible says. Because if the Holy Spirit tells you to do something, it's opposed to what God says in his word. That's not the Holy Spirit. You might have had bad pizza last night. 
Or it might be Satan whispering in your ear, whatever the case is, but, but that's not the Holy Spirit. So in with walking by the Spirit, you need to understand what that means. It, it means that the Holy Spirit is guiding you will not be against what the Word of God has to say in, in your life. So the second main thing I want you to see today is, is this. Resisting the works of the flesh will assist in loving our neighbors. Ass- with, with us resisting the works of the flesh, that will assist us in loving our neighbors. Paul writes these words inspired of God here in, in verse 19 through 21. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident. In other words, they're clear. You ought to be able to see and know that the, that the works of the flesh, the, the labor of the flesh, the labor of that sinful nature is evident because it's seen in these things. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. Probably might be the first time you ever heard the word orgy in church, huh? Uh, Orgies and, and, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, in all those words, there are kind of three main categories or three main groupings of, of what is found there in, in that text. He's telling us that the works of the flesh, that toil, that thing that we occupy our lives with, if, if we're following the flesh, if we're following that old nature, if we're allowing the old nature to guide us, they, those works are evident. They, they shine forth in, in these things that he's about to say. And by the way, he says this, I want to, I want you to see this on the front end of it here. He, he said, I warned you, uh, as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And the reason I want to jump down to that before we go through this list is because every one of us will be hit by part of this list. I promise you, you'll be hit by part of this list. It'd be really easy for you to say, oh, so that means I can't inherit the kingdom of God. Well, the, the word that, that Paul uses here and the tense that he uses it in the Greek when he says do, he's meaning those who practice such things. Those who habitually are practicing the things we're going to talk about in our life. If you are habitually practicing these things, it might be a pretty good sign you don't really know Jesus. So, so don't hear one thing today and get really, really depressed and, and, and think, Man, I'm, I'm missing it really, really bad. You, you may be, but if you actually really know Christ as your Savior, that doesn't mean you're perfect. The very thing we're talking about teaches that's not true because we've got the old nature still. We've got the flesh still beating us up from time to time. So, so we need to recognize that, that the flesh wants to cause us problems. And we're going to look at a list of problems, but just because you're hit by some of them, you need to think this. Is that the habit of my life? Is that what I'm really practicing in my life uh, all, all the time? Look at the list that's given here. First of all, he lists some uh, sensual sins, I think. And if, and if we can resist, since we're talking about neighbors, this doesn't have just application to neighbors, but since our theme is, is loving neighbors, if we can resist these sensual sins, doing so will help us love others. Doing so will help us love our, our neighbors. 
Sexual immorality, some translations say adultery, some say adultery and fornication. There, there's one word there in the Greek, and it's the same word we get our word pornography from. And, and it means really any kind of sexual immorality. And you see, the reason resisting that can help you love your neighbor is that if you don't resist that, you might start looking at your neighbor's wife or your neighbor's husband. And start going in the wrong direction there. So if we are resisting these things, it'll, it'll help us love others. Impurity talks about physical or moral impurity, a, a filthiness of heart and mind. If we're walking around the filthy heart and mind all the time, that's not going to be helpful in us loving other people. Sensuality, uh, you could kind of boil down what it says by saying this. It speaks of a wanton appetite that knows no shame. And that's rampant in our culture today. People aren't ashamed of anything anymore. You know, it's, it's like anything goes and there's no shame attached to it. Well, if you've got the attitude of anything goes and there's no shame attached to anything that you do, that just opens the door for you to mistreat other people and, and treat your neighbors in the wrong way. It, it mentions drunkenness. Now, that's not talking about, uh, you know, someone taking a drink. That's talking about someone being intoxicated, being controlled uh, by alcohol. And, and guys, you know yourself, you've seen it enough. You might experience it in your own life. I did in my own life with my dad. That opens up doors to all kinds of other things happening. And if you're being controlled by that, it really opens up the door for you to say things you wouldn't say, do things you wouldn't do, and really, really hurt other people. And the word for orgies there, some translations talk about uh, uh, reveling or uh, rioting. Uh, and, and the reason I think the, the English Standard Version that I'm reading from today uh, said orgies because it says to lie outstretched. So it's though you're doing something wrong, lying outstretched, whatever it, it may be. But but if you've got that kind of attitude and those kind of practices, if, if you're just uh, you know completely letting loose, if you're just rioting in your life, uh, uh, reveling in, in your life, doing the wrong things in your life, there's big corruption. In your life, you're not going to be responding to your neighbors the right way either. Second list involves this. We need to be re- resisting spiritual adultery. And by doing so, that will help us love others and help us love our, our neighbors. It uses the word idolatry. And that literally means image worship. So I think a lot of times in, in, in our world today, people will think, well, yeah, we don't do that. I don't have an idol at home. I don't go and bow down to some graven image like they did in, in parts of the Bible. Well, maybe you don't do that. But see, here's the issue with idolatry. If there's something in your life that replaces God, that's an idol. If it, it, it can be your hobby, it can be your car, it can be your motorcycle, it, it can be whatever. If there's something that, that you allow in your life to be more important to you than your relationship with God, then that is functioning in the role of an idol. And we live in a culture that's bad to do that with our possessions. And you've heard people say this before probably about you know, using possessions, but what we ought to do is use our possessions and love people. We live in a culture today where people love their possessions and use people. That's not what God calls us to. We're supposed to love people, minister to people, care for people. No matter where they are in their life, no matter how different they are than us, we're supposed to love them with the love of God that we have in our lives. And yet if we've got more things important in our lives than God is, think about it in these terms. If I'm willing to let something be more important to me than God in me as a Christian, how easy would it be for me to let something be more important to me than my neighbor if I'm not responding to God in the right way? 
The word for sorcery is the same word that we get our word pharmaceuticals from or pharmacy from in the Greek. And in that day and time, there were sorcerers who would use drugs and give people drugs to help them have some type of uh, wrong type of religious experience. And that's what they were doing in that day and time. But if you just take the meaning of the word and how it relates to our culture today, if you're being controlled by drugs, if you're being controlled by, by that in your life, by legal drugs, and that's the driving force in your life, come back to the same thing about alcohol, you're not going to be responding to your neighbor in the right way. Third list is this. The third list tells us that we need to be resisting some social sins. Now, if you've not got hit with any of the rest of them, you're probably getting ready to identify yourself in a couple of these, probably. You see, the reason we need to resist these social sins, if, if I'm going to love my neighbor as I should, all these things we're going to talk about is not very helpful in loving your neighbor and loving other people. To have enmity in your life, hostility. It's like you're opposing another person. You've got hatred in, in your heart for another person. You're being hateful toward another person. You're, you're viewing them as an adversary. Guys, I, I would submit to you, I don't care where the other person is. Because we live in a world with a lot of different people. And I, and I don't care how different their lifestyle might be or anything else. We're still called to love them with the love of Jesus. Instead of thinking about them as an adversary. If we go around with strife in our heart all the time, if we go around uh, quarreling and wrangling and having contention, if that's the way your life is built, if that's the attitude that you have, it's not going to help you love other people very much. It, it talks about jealousy to where you've got this, uh, uh, this, this, this heat flaming up in your, in your heart. You've got this wrong kind of zeal. You're, you're jealous. It was even used of a, a jealousy over a, a husband over his wife. And, and you've got this kind of uh, wrath or anger in your life, this malice because you're jealous. That's not going to help you love other people. F- fits of anger. To have a passion as though you're, you're breathing hard. It's like you're walking around mad all the time. You know, it's kind of that, that type of attitude. And you've got this fierceness in your life, this indignation, this, this wrath, almost like you want to rush upon the person and, and, and do something to them, straighten them out because you don't like the way they're doing. If you've got that attitude active in your life, it's not going to help you love people the way God wants you to love people. Dissensions. Well, I'm about to skip over rivalries. I don't need to do that. <laughs> Look at the first word, intrigue. Let me give you a modern day translation for that. Drama. <laughs> you know, people walk around with drama in their life all the time. That, that's not going to help you love, love others to have that kind of drama, that, that type of intrigue that leads to, to contentions and strife. Dissensions means disunion or, or dissension. And it literally means this, twice again a standing. And, and I think what's being said is this, I, I, I appear to take one stance and then I change my mind and I take another stance. Or I tell one person one thing and then I tell another person another thing. Or I tell one person one thing and then I act differently than what I told them. And, and that leads to those types of, of, of dissensions, that type of, of disunity. Divisions is like a, a choice or a sect, you know, disunion to where you're, you're part of this group and you're disliking other people. 
Envy talks about having ill will or, or jealousy that leads to, to pining away or wasting in your life. Man, if you walk around as a Christian with, with that type of envy in your heart toward others, it's causing some things to shrivel up in your life. It's causing some spiritual things to wither in, in your life if you're walking around with, with that type of, of envy. And then Paul writes this, things like these. <laughs> so in other words, that's not an exhaustive list. There, there are a lot of other things that we need to recognize the flesh wants us to be about. The works of the flesh wants to, to, to pull us in, into that arena and live our lives like that. But if we live in that arena, we won't be loving others like we ought to love others. And if we can resist these, these works of that old nature, these works of the flesh, it, it will help us in, in loving others as we should love others. I want to remind you of what I said a moment ago because I want you to be sure you get this clearly in your heart. Remember, it's the person that practices habitually these things that we just talked about. Because we all get angry from time to time, don't we? We, 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 we all are facing being caught up in some of those practices from time to time. But it's the one that practices those things that he's saying, won't inherit the kingdom of God. He's not talking about an act of sin. He's talking about habitual sin. But the fact that the believer is not under the law, I don't want you to take that and run too far the wrong way. Because some people say, oh, but I'm saved by grace and now I can live however I want to. The fact that you're not under law but under grace isn't an excuse for sin. Paul clearly deals with that in, in Romans chapter 6. We're not to consider it a license to sin just because we're under grace. In fact, the fact that we're under grace ought to cause us all the more to want to live after the Spirit instead of following the works of the flesh. Because we are saved by grace. Because God loves us that much. Because he was reckless, like the song said, relentless and, and, and chasing after us. That ought to cause us to want to live for the Lord more instead of live for him less. Romans chapter 6, Paul uses this analogy. He says we're to reckon ourselves dead. In other words, I'm to look at myself as though I'm a corpse. If I'm a corpse, if I'm dead to sin, then I don't live there anymore. That's not my choices. That's the mindset I need to have. Are we dead to sin? No, we're not dead too because we've got the old flesh hanging around. But if when temptation comes, if I will reckon myself as though I'm dead, it will help me a whole lot when it comes to not living out the works of the flesh. Third thing I want you to see this morning is this. Bearing the fruits of the Spirit, bearing the fruits of the Spirit will absolutely bless our neighbors. It will absolutely bless others. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Anybody wish some of that wasn't there? Be honest. How many wish the word patience wasn't there? Be honest. The rest of you are lying again. How many wish self-control wasn't there? Uh, you, you, just, you just don't want to raise your hand, do you? I've got news for you. God knows already whether you raise your hand or not. 
He says, against such as no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. In other words, all the stuff we just talked about, all the works of the flesh, instead of us living those things out, we're to nail those things to the cross. We're to kill those things, crucify those things, not practice those things. With his passions and desires, nail those things to the cross. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. When he says fruit of the Spirit, he's talking about something that that naturally grows out of a living organism. A machine can do work. Uh, A machine can crank out a lot of work, but a machine can't bear fruit. That's why you and I can't win the victory that we need to over these wrong things in our lives. So we'll be in a better relationship or fellowship with God. And we'll also be in a better relationship and fellowship with other people. That won't happen by us being like a machine that's just obeying the law and cranking out works. Because what God wants to do through his Holy Spirit in our lives is cause some fruit to pop up. Fruit that's attractive to others. Fruit that makes someone want to come over and pluck that off of your life. And and that fruit, guess what fruit has inside of it? It's got life-bearing seed inside of it that can take root in the other person's life and them experience the same Jesus you've experienced, them experience the same love of God you've experienced, and they in turn turn around and practice these types of things. The first list tells us things that will curse our neighbors. The second list, the fruit of the Spirit, gives us some attitudes and and behaviors that can absolutely help bless others. Let me walk through some of the words real quick and then we'll be done. Through the Spirit, something plucked, like I mentioned a moment ago, something that, 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 that people can desire, that they see in your life, that, that God's put there by His Spirit and they want to come over and they want part of that. They, they, want, they want that in their own life. And he says the fruit of the Spirit is, is also, it, it's love. The God type of love that we talked about last week. Not the erotic type of love that's so rampant in our culture, but the God type of love. It's a beneficial love. It's a love like God loved us. Jesus did what he did on the cross for our benefit. We're to love others for their benefit. That's the kind of love that God calls us to practice toward others. He said the fruit of the Spirit is joy. And that's talking about cheerfulness and a calm delight. By the way, that's not happiness. I I think a Christian, you can be in a situation that you're not happy about at all, but at the same time, you can have joy in your heart in the middle of whatever it is that you're going through. The the fruit of the Spirit is peace. Not all the conflict that we saw over there in the the list dealing with the works of the flesh, but the fruit of the Spirit is peace to where we have this joining together, this quietness, this rest. The fruit of the Spirit is patience to where we're, we're long-suffering, we're long-tempered. Like I said last week, that doesn't mean you're holding on to grudges a long time. That means it takes a whole lot of stuff to ever make you get the grudge to start with. Instead of having a short fuse, you've got a, you've got a long fuse. The fruit of the Spirit is kindness, and that means usefulness. It's not just you kindly saying, well, you know, bless you to somebody else. Well, you're doing something to be useful to them. That's what real kindness is. You're doing something to to benefit their lives. 
Goodness talks about the virtue of goodness, but once again, it's beneficial for somebody else. It's not just you going around being goody two-shoes. It's you living your life in a way that helps other people, being good toward them. Faithfulness just simply means you're fully persuaded in the gospel. You're fully persuaded in the truthfulness of God. You're fully persuaded in your reliance upon Christ for salvation. But I think faithfulness here also means this, that based upon that, we ought to live faithful lives ourselves toward others. Gentleness means a mildness, a, a humility, a meekness. Guys, especially the men, I want you to listen. Don't, don't take that the wrong way. I think men sometimes will, will hear about Jesus being meek and, and, and humble and things like that. And, but because men like to kind of have the, the macho type mindset, I want you to understand something. Yes, Jesus was humble and yes, Jesus was meek, but I believe Jesus was as much a man that's ever walked the face of the earth. He, he looked right straight forward at the cross and he walked there knowing exactly what was going to take place and happen. That takes a man to do that. And if you want to see other elements of Jesus, you know, being a man's man sometimes, uh, I mean, he, he made stands for what was right and, and stands against what was wrong. He took a whip and drove the money changers out of the temple. You being meek as a man doesn't mean you don't make stands. But it means you still need to have meekness and mildness and humility in your dealings with other people. Self-control means you've just got... You've got this ability, you're strong in this thing, you're masterful in this thing. You need to be able to master your own life. And by doing so, God is positioning us in a way that we can bless others. And those traits aren't generated by the law. Those traits aren't, aren't, aren't whacked out by some type of machinery in your life. It's the Holy Spirit of God in your life that develops these things as, as fruit. And if we belong to Christ, he said, we're to crucify, we're to put to death those things. As I saw a moment ago, we're to nail them to the cross. We're to live by the spirit. We're to walk by the spirit. And I want you to notice what he kind of says in wrapping up this section. He says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So where you might have wondered all the way through this message, where does the neighbor part come in? Right here it is. All the things he said we ought to avoid, we ought to resist. All the things he's saying as a believer, we ought to be allowing the Holy Spirit to bring forth as fruit in our lives. That will help us avoid being conceited, walking around puffed up all the time. It will... Keep us from provoking one another. The word provoking is kind of an interesting word because it's like you're calling somebody forth. I mean, it'd be like I'd come over here and call Carl all the way over here and say, Carl, I want you to come here and stand. And now I'm going to get in your face about something. It's like you're intentionally trying to cause trouble with somebody. He said we need to avoid provoking each other. We need to avoid being jealous of each other because it's going to cause some spiritual things in your life to dry up. You might could boil everything that we said about how to love others today by, by simply really saying this. And I know it maybe oversimplifies it, but I think we could learn how to love others the way we should if we just be like Jesus. It's good to have all these instructions, good to have all these words we can look at, but foundationally, guys, if we'll just try and live our lives like Jesus... Try and respond to other people the way Jesus responded to other people. 
If we try and live like Jesus and, and, and look like Jesus and love others like Jesus did, then I think we'll learn greatly how to love our neighbors, how to love others. This past week on Memorial Day, I was watching the placing of the wreath at the tomb of the unknown soldier. And it's something I try and watch every year when I, when I can. And uh, you guys all know what that uh, represents. And, you know, the president will come and he'll, he'll, he'll place a wreath there. And, uh, and then after they go through the, the, the formal part of that ceremony, they'll go to another part there near uh, Arlington Cemetery. And the president some other people will make a speech. And, and uh, well, as, as President Trump was making a speech this year, he alluded to something that happened last year. And you might have saw it in the news last year. But he said when he was there last year at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier and there for the Memorial Day festivities, as he was walking out, you see, there'll be a lot of Gold Star families. By, by the way, guys, I, I meant to say this at the very beginning of the message, and I failed to. Our church had 28 people show up yesterday and, and love our neighbor by putting the actions on, on, on theology, flesh on theology, as we went out and helped a Gold Star widow who's whose husband was killed. Uh, regrettably, he, wa- he was because of PTSD. And we need to pray for our, our soldiers. There's more people wrestling with PTSD than we can even imagine. You'd be shocked at the number of soldiers that take their own lives every day. And uh, anyway, but we found out she would need to move somewhere. I saw she put on Facebook, where's the cheapest, uh, cheapest place? You know, who, who can I go to that will move me the cheapest? And I thought to myself, uh, we probably will because we'll do it for free. <laughs> So we had 28 people go and help move her uh, into a new location where she was moving. But anyway, there at at Arlington last year, several Gold Star families were there. And as President Trump was walking out, a little seven-year-old boy dressed like a Marine just stepped forward to talk to the president. His name was Christian Jacobs. He and his mother, Brittany, go every year on Memorial Day to Arlington Cemetery. Christian's dad was killed serving our country when Christian was eight months old. So President Trump last year was walking out and this seven-year-old boy comes over like a Marine, dressed like a Marine. And he introduces himself to President Trump and he said, would you like to meet my dad? So then he takes the president by the hand and he takes him over to his dad's grave and introduces him to his dad. And when asked, why why are you dressed like a Marine, a little boy? They say he does it all the time. His answer is this, because I want to honor my father. And when I grow up one day, I want to be a Marine like he was. Do you get the reason I'm telling this story? You and I ought to have the desire to honor our Father. We ought to have the desire to look as much like Jesus as we can. And by doing so, it will help us learn how to love others. Let's pray.
Father, forgive us when we act in ways that don't look much like you. Lord, I pray you help us intentionally as believers to to walk by your Spirit, to allow the Holy Spirit to guide us, to allow the Holy Spirit to set the agenda for our lives. Father, help us to resist the works of the flesh, this old nature that we still have. Father, help us to resist those things. Help us to nail those things to the cross, along with the desires and the passions connected to those things. Father, help us to avoid those things, not just for our neighbors, but for our own lives. Father, help us to avoid the works of the flesh just so we can honor you, so we can live more the way you'd like us to, so we'll look more like Jesus. But Father, at the same time, help us to resist those actions so we can be positioned in a way to love our neighbors better. Father, help us that we might have the fruits of the Spirit growing in our lives in such an attractive way that people that don't even know you will want to know you. That people can find love coming from us as believers. That they can, can pluck meaningful fruit, beneficial fruit from our lives that can help them in their lives wherever they might find themselves. Father, help us to look like Jesus, to think like Jesus, to love like Jesus. And use those things to bless others around us, our neighbors around us. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. As I said earlier in the message, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, you don't have those fruits of the Spirit. If you don't have Christ as your Savior, you can't walk by the Spirit or or live by the Spirit. So it begins with you trusting Christ as your Savior. And I'll tell you up front, the day you trust Christ as your Savior doesn't mean you won't struggle with all those things. I trusted Christ as my Savior when I was 11 years old. I'm now 62. And I still have the old flesh bothering me from time to time. But also have a resource I never had before, and that's the Spirit of God living in me. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, why not trust Him today? The most loving thing I could say to you if you don't know Christ is that you need to admit to God you're a sinner, you can't save yourself, and believe in the finished work of Jesus, what He did on the cross. And if you already know that, if you already trust Christ as your Savior, and you don't have any doubt in that direction, I think I know this because I know myself and I know human nature. You're struggling with some of this junk we talked about today. And you need to maybe pray as a believer during this time of our service to ask God to help you resist those works of the flesh and and to help you bear more fruit in in your life that looks like Jesus. So why not do that this morning as, as we wait? Please stand. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.